yeah so the i think we got a bit too deep into the technical aspect and now i think it's time that we move on to uh, a bit more personal and also philosophical aspect so the the johannes that i know of is really uh, into hard work and uh, spending long hours working on his projects it wouldn't be wrong to call you a workaholic uh, my question to you is what inspires or motivates you to keep working hard and keep pushing yourself yeah so to to reiterate i i a few years back i started to really work on on data science and data analysis uh, stuff and from that i sort of found what my passion was like um i see data science and all the tools that come with it like uh, the, the basic machine learning algorithms and um yeah a certain level of expertise in the in a language like python or r or julia i i see that as a as a great toolkit to do very meaningful things because it's just so useful right away like you can you can do something really really useful with it uh, from a very early uh, point on or so, yeah and and it sort of rewards you with tangible results right away and for me that's always the the yeah what what motivates me uh, to to go forward because every time i get frustrated there's like this little hit when you have a little success and you you uh, make some progress and also um i think i want to so for me it's very important to work on something that uh, has a lot of meaning to me or that i'm passionate about because i don't know like when i have to when i have to work on something that i i i mean obviously not everything that i do is is meaningful and and i'm i'm passionate about it all the time because there are like some tasks that just that are not not very very fun but that's that's a given like that you can't you can't uh yeah, yeah. work on your bliss all the time and and exactly but overall i think it's very important to me that that it makes sense or it that that what i'm doing gives meaning to my to my own life and if it if it gives meaning to me then it's i don't really have to motivate myself anyway so i i will just keep working all the time and um <laughs> i have actually i've tried to go about this this uh, methodology methodologically so i i try to come up with a framework for myself when i work and how long and and but usually okay. there are so i can plan for a little bit but there are phases where i can just not predict when i'm going to be um in the state where which uh, i'm required to be to be creative for example so sometimes i'll just um i'll be kind of unproductive for a time and then from 5 pm to midnight i will just continuously work without without any breaks because i'm in the zone and okay okay yeah so working deeply on a task for so 5 years 5 uh, hours straight or gaps in between well there i i'm actually it's it's hard to say sometimes to to observe yourself yeah. i mean you you know it for sure like sometimes you get so deep into a task then you you look yeah. at your watch and and it's uh, suddenly it's 2 hours later or 3 hours later 
and I mean, sometimes you get up and you you move around for a little bit or you do something else and then you get back to the to the task. But I think when you get really deep into one task, it's difficult to make breaks that are too long because then you then you get out of your zone and, and it's yeah. hard to get back in. But um, yeah, and a certain I think there are also some tasks that require that you work on it for like seven hours straight because they are so complex that you need some time to get into them. So it, it takes you maybe an hour to, to, to get accustomed to working on it. And then when you're in the zone and you get out of the zone again, you need another hour to get in, back into it. So it's very important not to break this flow of work. So yeah, yeah that, that's, that's what, what uh, motivates me to, to work intensely on one thing at a time. That doesn't sound. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so you're someone who derives lots of meaning and purpose from work, right? So, what importance do you think uh, work holds in society? Because uh, not everyone would be deriving uh, purpose from work. Most of the people, I think, a vast majority of people would think of work as uh, a means to earn uh, money, right? To you know. Uh, earn a living so what do you think is the importance of work in society and yeah what's your take on this thing yeah so I think so I, I think work is uh, usually when you're a, a, an adult it will be like 60% of your week so I think yeah just just from a selfish standpoint like from from your own point of view I think it's very important that it's not something that's terrible to you, but I've, I think it's also a mistake to judge people too hard if they are not, uh, they don't like their work or they don't pursue something that that is meaningful to them. Because I think there are different types. You know, I think um, for for many people, it's just the right thing to do something repetitive, for example, or, or um, and and those tasks. I think it's also a matter of personality. So. What what job fits you, and uh, yeah, for 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 some people it's just good to do something repetitive, which is uh, even if it's not very interesting. You know, for some people it's more more important to to be around other people a lot. Um, I mean, you you and I we are more like. We, we, I mean, I, I don't want to work alone all the time, but I also like to work alone. <laughs> like I, I work, yeah. I, I like sometimes to be left alone for five hours and just code. Mm. And I also enjoy having conversations with people, and I also enjoy, for example, um, yeah, presenting in front of an audience. But you, you, you find your type of work that that fits you, and I think it's a very important part of your life, especially because you do it in your best years, uh, yeah. basically. And you do it for so much of your week, but then also on a on a larger scope, I think it's also or what what gives you meaning a lot is that if you keep in mind a bigger picture, like uh, if you pursue a higher purpose, like something uh, that sounds a little dramatic, but <laughs> um, let's go down that road. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think it's it's important that you have you, you like you have the feeling that you are doing something meaningful also for other people. I think that's what what you can derive the most meaning from, and and it's 
it's a constant challenge because I think sometimes it happens to everyone that you think, well, what I'm doing is not really helpful to anyone or, or uh, and then you have to steer it back into a direction where you, where you have the feeling that it's, it's a good thing. Like it's better that it exists than it, when it wouldn't exist. And yeah. Yeah. So, so you're someone who uh, thinks about who has a long-term vision and uh, kind of uh, tries to bring meaning into his work uh, based on a, a larger vision that you have uh, developed. So uh, also you mentioned that uh, uh, for some people probably the repetitive things would be the right option. What do you mean by that? Um, so for example, I... I uh is that a good example for example if you if you are working as an administrator somewhere then your your work will be repetitive in a way like you you always have to follow certain processes that stay the same for everyone for example if you if your job is to process students then you follow a, a certain set of rules that apply to every student and and you have to you have to create a paper trail for the student and then uh, file it in the in the right way and I think that would be something that would be very suited to someone who's really orderly so someone who's um, who's uh, wait I think I have uh, my whatsapp open in the background and I'll just close it <laughs> sorry <laughs> because I just heard the, the sound um, so someone who's very neat in their work that could be something that they could derive meaning from because administration obviously is also a very important job um, it's automated away in a way uh, in, in some aspects but there are still some administrative tasks that are still quite repetitive and I think some people can, can find meaning in that job as well or it can suit some people and they can be happy in that job um, and, and I think it's yeah I, I try not to be judgmental about anything I think when I first started off putting so much emphasis on my work I, I thought sort of um, I put the same emphasis on it for other people, so I became a little bit judgmental. But okay. yeah, it's it's also it's also very important to maintain a balance with your private life as well, which I for sometimes didn't do. <laughs> so I was just so such a maniac that I was working all the time, and and I yeah, um, yeah I I didn't maintain this balance very well for a time. So I. I dial back on that a little bit and, and also try to, to balance that out well. Yeah. And everyone is doing sort of what they are doing, so. Yeah, so uh, so you, you talk about the uh, one type of person who might uh, derive lots of meaning from doing repetitive tasks, for example, bringing order to, to uh, any activity that allows him to bring order uh, from chaos, for instance. But then these are essentially the kind of activities, uh, tasks, or you know, work positions that are most likely to get replaced in the future because of uh, because of the advent of technology. So, how do you think uh, people would be deriving meaning? Uh, from their life, if if they do not really, you know, 
uh, have their uh, job to get meaning from? Ah, that's a that's a very difficult question, I think. So, <clears throat> the, I, I I'm I'm not set on on a specific answer to that. I think I, I listen to many people who talk about that. I'm I think the the most prominent recent example is Andrew Yang, this candidate for the American presidency from the Democrats, who I found quite compelling. Like um, I think he he would have been a good choice probably, but. Um, but I'm not sure if he's right. I think his uh, his approach was that automation will kill a lot of jobs, and we have to provide basic security to people who will lose their jobs in the in the yeah near future. Mm -hmm. So, but I'm I'm actually not sure if we will ever run out of work. So it's it's unclear to me if if technology will will really uh, start to encroach so much on. What humans do that people will be, go out of work I, I think that danger might be blown out of proportion a little bit I mean obviously some some jobs are going to be autom uh, automated away um, and some people are even talking about laws to stop automation and progress in robotics to maintain people's jobs which I think is also not a very good solution because in the end you can't stop progress like yeah, that's hindering the progress, which is doing mm. nobody good. Yeah, and I think people will just come up with more jobs. And I just recently listened to, I think, a bit of, I think it was Naval Ravikant. I think he's a he's a American investor personality. I don't know much about him. It was just a, on a podcast. And he talked about that uh, people are going to be freed up to do more for f fulfilling things, like... The creative jobs are the ones that will remain in the end because we are very far away from general in, or general artificial intelligence. Um, yeah. So we don't really have uh, machines that observe the real world and come up with new new things. It's more like a pattern recognition and, and clustering and yeah, basically pattern recognition is you, you can reduce many things down to pattern recognition in modern AI. So, yeah, it's very hard to come up, or I think it's, it will take a long time before machines get creative and, and autonomous in a way. Um, yeah. So I think it, it, at least it will take a long time before we, we run out of work. But what's worry, worrying a little bit is that, mm, yeah, I think maybe a creative job might not be for everyone. So. Uh, I'm, I'm not even sure if I, I'm, I'm not sure if a really creative job would be something for me, like something where, for example, it would uh, wait. <laughs> well, uh, artists, I think we will never run out of artists because there's always it's almost inherently about human human expression. So even if it can be replicated well by machines, I don't think we will. Yeah, the the kind of novelty that we derive from from art will always remain relevant. But um, yeah, even other creative creative endeavors, I think, are not for everyone. And so maybe that's going to be a problem when all the repetitive jobs are going to be automated. Then it might be might be a problem that some people just don't find something that suits them. Yeah, it's it's actually a. Uh a discussion with 
no end because nobody knows the answer to such a problem right it's yeah. it's it's kind of uh, based on uh, a set of assumptions and and uh, hypotheses that we are trying to make here so the so the, what i think is that when uh, so, so let's suppose that we reach uh, uh, such a stage where uh, people don't have to work to earn a living so this concept of universal basic income let's say it has been implemented i mean maybe in, in a very distant future when uh, you don't really need to do any trivial tasks at all maybe the ro- there are you know significant advancements in robotics and ai for instance so mm-hmm. at that point it becomes uh, really uh, a challenge for people to uh, deriving anything in life and and it also comes down to uh, if you think about it in in various countries we already uh, the government provides you know the monetary support for people who are jobless and and you see that these uh, people kind of misuse uh, this facility to certain extent and they kind of intoxicate themselves uh, and 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 so they they certainly lost uh, meaning because they do not really have to work and and mm. some people might argue that okay uh, you don't have to work you don't have to do the repetitive tasks and then you might have the freedom to do what you want and and and, and uh, participate in more creative endeavors but does everybody want to do that that's the question like you mentioned that uh, a creative job uh, might not be for everybody so it's really uh, something that uh, can be a, a challenging thing to talk about yeah definitely definitely and uh, yeah that's exactly the symptom of it i think you, you know you i think the the economic aspect of it is only one one aspect so obviously you have to feed yourself and your family for example but um i think many people who who live on on governmental support are miserable because they have no meaning or no function like they don't have something that yeah. they they do that they perceive as meaningful i think that's a big problem that also has to be has to be solved certainly uh, and you talk about uh, having a vision for yourself and having a a purpose which motivates you to work harder every day because you kind of get a sense of contribution to the society or or the place you work at so i'm getting a bit too deep into philosophy now but i'll still ask it so what do you mm-hmm. think is the purpose of life oh <laughs> so <laughs> the, the... since we touched the topic let's go a bit yeah 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 well. yeah let's go ahead um that's very difficult to say actually i think i think um the meaning obviously it's something different for everyone like if if you look from uh, at it from a, from a backwards angle and you you look at people who you think have a very meaningful life i think it's mostly people who are constantly progressing towards something mm-hmm. um for example like the, the the best example i think for it would be elon musk who sets himself like like almost unattainable goals yeah. and then he's constantly w- uh, working towards those goals and i think 
allegedly, like, uh, or from from interviews, uh, I, I think he always talks about how he works for like 100 hours a week, and you can't you can't maintain this level of we, uh, work when you don't have a extraordinary strong vision for yourself. It must be really yeah. meaningful as well. Um, yeah, certainly is for Elon Musk, right? I mean, yeah. Uh, he's kind of he has a vision for the whole world, so uh, for the whole uh, of humanity. So it it definitely gives him a lot of meaning. Yeah, yeah. And actually, I I tried working that hard for for some time. Uh, for two weeks during my bachelor's thesis, I worked for yeah, over a hundred hours. Hundred hours, really. Two two weeks long. After that, I had to recover for a month. <laughs> really, it was really crazy. Yeah. What was it like? Edward, actually, I felt kind of great during it um, because I felt so like there was a se sense of self-efficacy. You know, when you get so much done in so little time. Yeah, yeah. The problem was I had to finish my bachelor's thesis and another student paper at the same time. <laughs> so I figured, like, holy crap! I, I oh, sorry, I, I didn't want to swear on your podcast, but uh, <laughs> that's allowed, no problem. Okay, okay, cool. Uh, I thought. Yeah, I, I have to get going. So I made a plan plan for myself, and I got up every day at five p.m. Uh, five a.m. Not five p.m. Yeah, yeah. Five a.m. and I started working at six, and I only made breaks for half an hour for my meals, and I worked until ten p.m. Like uh, six a.m. to ten p.m. every day. Yeah. Uh, and also <laughs> Saturday and Sunday, and really? I think my my student paper I wrote, I think I wrote. Like an entire statistical analysis plus nine pages of of text or so in one day, like uh, within twenty four hours. That was like the craziest work session I had, I think. Yeah, it sounds really crazy. But it was it was, yeah. During during the time, it felt really good, but afterwards, I was just completely uh, exhausted. <laughs> What do you mean by meaning? Exactly. So when you talk about deriving meaning from your work, what exactly is the meaning of meaning? <laughs> Complicated. Uh, because, I think, yeah. I think it's the we, sense you, of moving towards uh, something. Ha! It's it's quite funny. I I, I always try to or I I catch myself trying to explain it with itself like a circular <laughs> argument but i think the sense of moving towards something that you perceive as good is maybe what what is giving it meaning so for example uh, do you know the ocean cleanup project yeah probably uh, so a bunch of guys were trying to clean up the ocean and they have kind of created a movement uh, of some sort Yeah, they they created a non-profit, um, okay. and and the founder is a guy called Bojan Slat, which I found really fascinating. He's a, um, yeah, I think when he was 16 or something, he he came up with this vision to clean up the Great Pacific Garbage Patch, okay. and he's now depatched his whole uh, first system that actually catches garbage in the Pacific, and he has this goal of I think cleaning up the entire Pacific until 2050 or something like that. Oh. And um, you know that is obvious. Like that's, I, I bring that up as an example because I think it's it's quite simple to perceive that as something 
like really really good like it was would be fantastic if that would work in that time and i can just imagine how much meaning he or yeah. the, the entire team of that project derives from moving towards that goal every day and, and making progress in that sense i think that's maybe a good way to to describe what i mean by moving towards a something okay. good okay uh, yeah so uh, when you talk about meaning your uh, you talk about a sense of direction towards approaching a goal and progressing continuously towards it and a lot of people derive meaning from that as well i mean if you talk about uh, uh, kobe bryant or or sports persons definitely uh, they derive a sense of meaning from this kind of a thing but then there are uh, people like for example the guy who uh, started the ocean project or elon musk who, who apart from you know progressing uh, towards a particular goal also might think about uh, having an impact on the society in general and realizing a vision that's actually greater than themselves so uh, what part of uh, you know meaning uh, does that involve i think yeah i think it doesn't have to be something as big like okay. i think also i mean i i can only guess what what many people derive a lot of meaning from is for example raising their kids Yeah. and having a family for example and and uh, doing something for the family uh so it doesn't have to be like a it doesn't have to be like an overarching vision actually i think it can be quite hurtful if it's a, too big of a vision because yeah i i think not everyone is like a not everyone is an elon musk so yeah, <laughs> not yeah. everyone has, should have a, like a such a big vision um because yeah you you i think you have to stay in your in your um area of competence it has to be something that is actually realistic what you can do and yeah yeah i i think it's not it's not bad to to think big and and think about something big but you have to be willing to adjust your your outlook to something that's realistic for you so um yeah i think it's it's a little bit about humility as well yeah because if if you're you're starting i think in in the age of social media because it's so easy to to ex, uh to reach everyone like you you're potentially interfaced with every other person on the platform so yeah. it's easy to think of yourself as someone who's like an influencer or someone who who has a lot of or the the goal becomes to to have like an impact on on society at large but i think it's very it's more important to focus on on something that's in your in your circle of competence and and around you in in your direct vicinity so mm -hmm. and i think it's also it's more conducive to giving you meaning because you you can observe much more directly what you're doing and and how you're progressing to to what you are doing Yeah. Yeah. So um, so essentially it uh, depends on the person in what form he you know derives his meaning from so it's it's essentially you know uh, specific to the person so what might be meaningful for one person would would not make 
extends for another person so for some person the priorities would be you know raising a good family as you mentioned yeah and yeah and, that, and that's person, perfectly valid in my opinion like yeah. that's a if if that's something that gives someone meaning it's and and I've, i think i i can see myself in that position as well uh, at at some point in the in the future so yeah yeah interesting and and quite deep to be honest <laughs> yeah so uh, now switching a bit from uh, you know meaning and you know uh, setting goals and aspirations and all those things uh, to essentially becoming better at your craft by means of you know learning from other people so what do you think uh, is the role of a mentor or how important do you think is having a role model in your journey of becoming good at something for example for you it might be uh, your research or or at data analysis who is your role model yeah I, so i have sort of so many role models that is difficult to say uh, who who really is it like i i i get inspired very quickly and i i um yeah i i sort of i mean that happens to many people i guess uh, it's that inspiration becomes sort of like a consumption good so you just get yeah. inspired all the time but you you don't act on it uh, often enough so in my in my direct um circles like on in my work uh, there's like the the leader of our research group he has taught me a lot of things like he's and and i think that's also it's it's very valuable to have someone in your direct direct environment like not a figure that you follow like a public figure or something but there that there is someone in your direct environment who who, who you can turn to for for advice for example and yeah he's doing a really great job on on yeah he, he gives us a lot of tutelage so he he gives us a lot of tutorials on how to do things uh for my bachelor's thesis uh he took i think once he took three hours to teach me r um okay and and that was really really that impressed me a lot because it was ext- extraordinarily helpful and i wasn't expecting that because obviously you can't you can't uh, you don't ex- expect that someone puts in so much work into helping you and yeah he's also giving us a lot of freedom to explore so he's not just giving us uh, tasks to to do but he's giving us a lot of freedom to develop our skills and i'm also i'm um i'm an autodid uh is that an english word as well i i learn on myself a lot so i i do self study i don't know what's the english word for it autodidactic yeah something like that it do- it didn't sound really english but i guess that's that's the word for it so i i try i uh, like um yeah learning from books or from online resources like uh, open um massive open online courses something like that and even i mean there are some great educational content on youtube and and platforms uh, like blogs and and so on so i like learning from those resources as, as well um but it's good to have like uh people to talk to about it and people to develop something with uh, so that you can apply it uh, immediately uh i'll take this keyword learning from 
what you talk about you said that you uh, like to learn things on your own so taking you know uh, a different trajectory to the, the conversation that we were having so uh, how do you think the current education system is uh, flawed or is it totally perfect what is your opinion of the current uh, way of teaching in the institutes or universities just a general opinion or outlook uh, do you mean uh, higher level education or also schools i mean generally i mean even you can talk about schools or or university level or technical what's uh, what yeah yeah what's your view about this um so i think it's it's definitely flawed in many ways uh, so when i remember school I think at about in, in 11th grade or so, I just, I, I didn't really had the feeling that I was learning so much more, uh, which I couldn't have learned on my, my own as well. And um, many of the, the classes felt like a waste of time in a way. But it's also, for example, I think in ma math class, I learned a lot. And also in language classes, uh, it was really, really helpful. And I also, yeah, obviously you sometimes have teachers that you like and that you don't like. So, uh, but I think the general the general premise of, of classes is very um, inappropriate for for people in their teenage years. Like you sit down for six hours or seven hours and have to listen to someone essentially. Um, and in some cases, sometimes you're also prompted to discuss something, but those class discussions are always very artificial and you don't really develop an, yeah, an idea uh, in that. Um, but there are some things that work well and some things that don't. So I think one, one thing that I'm really critical about is that people don't really learn to write in school, at least in Germany. I, I don't know where it is, uh, how it is in, in other countries, but mm -hmm. I certainly have, have learned writing on my own. Like in, in, in school, we always had to write and we weren't taught how to edit. So you had to, like the tests were really, you had to come up with an essay on the spot, um, usually in, in German classes or uh, language classes. And you weren't really taught how to write. You were just expected to know how to. And, um, you know, in, in elementary school, we learned writing and that was sort of, it so so the teachers after that just expected that you know how to conceptualize a text for example and i think it's very very important to also edit your thoughts a little bit you can't just come up with a perfect text and and only start writing when you have the perfect finish for your sentence sometimes you have to just write and then you realize hmm, i could formulate that a little differently then you cross it out and you, you rewrite it in another way and the way that it is taught it's in school is really not very conducive to learning how to actually write. I'm not sure th though how they do it today because when I went to when I went to school it wasn't that common that you had so many digital resources. So maybe now they have laptops for every student or something like that. And because editing is obviously more easy on a laptop than than on uh, with pen and paper. So, uh, what do you think is uh, what do you think can be improved in the way things are taught in 
school uh, you mentioned that the writing process is never really taught and you are expected to uh, learn it know it on your own and you are just given tasks where you are expected to write uh, naturally and also the, another idea that just comes to my mind right now is that uh, the everyone tells you to focus in school like you, you should be focusing on your studies and mm. but you are never really taught how to focus i mean, i think this one is from danda pani he's a, he's a, i think a, a monk who gave a, a talk as well that went quite viral online mm-hmm. so yeah moving back to the question what do you think can be improved in the schools so i think concerning writing it's quite obvious for me that everyone should learn how to edit a text or conceptualize a text so um especially just writing an essay like i think that was really yeah not not well taught in my school at least um although it wasn't it wasn't terrible i i don't want to i don't want to crap on my school too much because it it was okay i think the education that i got wasn't wasn't like terrible but yeah. um i think writing is so powerful that it should be it should be uh it, it's so such a powerful tool that everyone should be able to do it better so because it's it's also a, a way of organizing your thoughts mm-hmm. and especially when you try to learn something uh, when you write a little essay about it it's a way better way of of learning it because you're actively engaging with the material and i think in general what i didn't like in university was when i had to cram like um study yeah. things that are that are not very problem oriented so mm-hmm. i think that i i make the quickest progress if someone gives me a problem and and then i just give it all or i that i just throw myself against the problem and i try to solve it in many many ways <laughs> especially for if if it's a programming problem or something that i can solve with programming then i especially i get into a flow like of course in the beginning you you can't if if you don't have the basics down then you can't start working on the problem when if but if you have the basics for example of a programming language then you can choose a simple pro uh, s- uh, simple problem and then just start solving it and when yeah. you get stuck you can just google it and find some some advice on the internet and then ah you you understand how it well, uh, works better yeah and i think um the the university courses that i liked the uh, most were the ones that had a very well structured exercise along with it and that that's also the thing i think most courses are taught in reverse like you you first have the lecture and then you have the exercise so you get the theory first uh, and then you get the problem i think it should be the other way around you should first understand what the problem is and then you can follow the lecture much much easier because you you know what is being formalized when you when you start from the symbolic layer like uh, mathematical symbols and and like a terribly formalized uh, theoretical concepts then it's sometimes you don't even know what the problem is like why has someone do, done that and reversing yeah. this and and first letting people explore the problem and then showing them the solution would probably be much more efficient and much more productive for most students 
Yeah. So that's what I, I, what I, I would have enhanced uh, university. Yeah, I definitely agree with the thing that you're talking about. And I like the idea uh, of uh, the fact that, you know, things are taught in a reverse way. Although I didn't think of it uh, uh, in this particular way before, but it totally makes sense, right? Uh, things are taught in a reverse way. So the exercises or, or the problem should be given first and then uh, you should probably also be given uh, uh, some time to solve it and then uh, to explore the problem on your own to you know uh, engage mm -hmm. your creative self and then you uh, you kind of have access to the to all the theoretical you know pieces of information which probably also you don't need to access all of these only pick out the the things that are relevant to the problem that you are solving mm -hmm. and uh, for instance uh, uh, for a subject like uh, machine learning, if you are just bombarding a student with all the theoretical concepts, uh, you know, in one go, and then after that you can also explore some of the things with exercise. Of course, it's not it's not a totally terrible way, but definitely I think a better way would be to you know also give him exciting problems that he would be really interested in solving mm. and not a meaningless exercise sometimes the exercises are also meaningless right yeah uh, yeah the exercises also don't really make that sense even though it might be a good activity but if it doesn't you know the, make sense to the student then he wouldn't bring in that uh, enthusiasm so yeah, uh, yeah what i think is that uh, if a, a set of uh, you know meaningful exercises are given first like you mentioned you know for the student to explore and then he also has that you know that bible of knowledge yeah. uh, like in a conventional uh, fashion then then definitely it's a, it's a way better way you know more efficient method to learn yeah, I, I had one one course last semester, which was kind of uh, in that way, and and two courses actually. They were by um, one of them was actually introduction to data science, and there we had two two larger assignments over the course of the semester, which sort of were hands-on um, machine learning data science tasks, and this these were handed out like in advance, so you had the problems and you could look into them and try to solve them. And the the lecture sort of went along with that. So uh, the professor covered the the topics from the exercise uh, step by step. But you can you were always already prompted to the problem. So you you yeah. had read the problem and you thought, okay, how can I solve this? And once you have posed yourself this question, then it makes much more sense when you hear it in the lecture. Like you hear, yeah. ah, no, that that makes sense. That that's how you uh, solve this problem. But I think yeah, it, requires, I mean, it requires a creative person to come up with these problems. And also not for uh, all subjects is the same. Like some subjects, I think it's more difficult to come up with a, with a problem like that or an exercise like that. Uh, you, you mean so the uh, designing of curriculum, designing of these exercises and uh, all these things, that definitely requires uh, you know, a ton of creativity. It's, it's yeah. Because it has been done... The, 
the same way right and mm. uh, i mean it's it's really easy to just refer to what are the books that are already existing in the field and then kind of you know derive your own curriculum from those books but to come up with an interesting way to mm. you know help the students understand it better and yeah, actually yeah. play with it it's it's really a, a a challenging thing and not not an easy thing to do certainly actually in in chess it's a it's a discipline on its own coming up with interesting chess problems and they even have like oh. um they they give out like a rating to people how how good the problems are of their puzzles that they come up with we're talking about uh, the discipline of you know the coming up with new chess problems uh, could you elaborate a bit about that yeah so um chess chess is such a complex complex game and there are certain certain tactics so for example sometimes you can force a win from a certain position and um they can be quite beautiful actually like you wouldn't think of of chess or if you if you don't play chess you you wouldn't think about chess as something beautiful but there is just a certain elegance to it uh, a certain beauty of um how to solve certain problems for example if you have to sacrifice a piece to gain a positional advantage which will eventually um end up or or result in your in your winning the game uh and so you can you can come up with positions on the on the board which may occur in a real game as well of course and sometimes they are actually derived from real games so um yeah. usually when you when you play a tournament in chess you note down your games so you note down your moves and after that you can replay the game and analyze it and maybe there are some positions where you find a great tactical move which would have won you your game the game which you didn't see during the game um but but some people they just create positions like that for you to solve like for you to find the best move in and yeah this is a discipline where even ratings are given out to people who create those puzzles okay. actually yeah, yeah that's quite uh, yeah sorry you were you wanted to add something more there. no no it was just redundant <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, yeah uh, so interesting that you uh, you're comparing designing a curriculum with you know coming up with new moves uh a new set of moves for uh, a chess game for instance because uh, both of these problems can be really intensely hard and yet uh, you know strainfully create so uh, it would require you to be you know extraordinarily creative and also uh, it 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 is something that cannot be replicated because for education we need something that's replicable and creativity is something that we don't even understand very well now and it it's like it, it it's impossible to even replicate something that we don't really understand yeah yeah, yeah that's a, that's a that's a really interesting you know view of it and yeah that that's probably one of the reasons why it's 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 so hard and i mean what do you think is the is the solution for a better 
education problem because uh, i mean it's it's also an exercise in uh, you know developing creativity and using uh, you know understanding creativity and utilizing it on a really you know uh, large scale so that it can be applied to a variety of different disciplines so maybe mm-hmm. using a creative approach to create uh, a sort of a structure that can be applied to different kinds of fields or maybe mm-hmm. it, uh, there's no standard structure i mean the standard structure already exists right yeah so uh, or maybe uh, it has to be specific to different disciplines but then coming up with the the reason why i'm talking about bringing a structure or standard to it because education is something that needs to be scalable and mm-hmm. you cannot rely on creativity although creativity is needed so i think what what uh, so one one development which i think is quite uh, good currently is um, that you have many open open education platforms that that are sort of competitive and i think this this competitiveness brings with it like a, a, a need to to create compelling problems for example if you think about uh, open education platforms like edx Coursera, um, and and even more, even more, uh, yeah, uh, econo- uh, or industry now, even more, more um, uh, commercial um, websites like Brilliant.org or Skillshare or, or uh, things like that. They 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 need to make their courses compelling and and so that people will stuck around because. Obviously, the, the the people that are taking the courses are the customers, and they they want to. It's like a given that they they expect value from from the course, so they have to be yeah. compelling. And I think many of the many of the open education platforms are already uh, head and shoulders above the university courses in some yeah. cases, um, because they 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 provide a hands-on problem-solving approach. And you see, especially in computer science, you see many people like graduating from online courses and finding jobs, um, especially when it comes yeah. to coding. Um, obviously, programming is quite, it, it's easier to find good problems for programming or to, to learn programming than for other disciplines, maybe. But even other disciplines, I think Brilliant.org has a lot of courses on, on the natural sciences, like uh, chemistry, biology, physics. And also mathematics in in a in a way, um, and and even theoretical computer science. And I've uh, yeah, I think many of those courses are already better than what you have in universities. But uh, the the big problem still is accreditation. So um, the prestige of those courses is not high yet. So someone who is who has uh, done three or maybe maybe like a micro degree on Coursera. This won't be treated with the same respect as a university degree. Yeah. So, yeah. But uh, but from from a from a objective standpoint, when it comes to the efficiency of the courses, I think those courses are already superior to many university courses. And I think that should also be worrying for universities. So, universities should should aim at becoming better than that. 
and update their education systems a little bit. Yeah, yes, certainly. I mean, uh, also because uh, studying at a university is not really cheap, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. In Germany, if, if you if you study in German, then probably you have to pay a very nominal fee or, or something that's really negligible. But yeah, uh, you know, all around the world, the you know the top colleges are really expensive as well. And oh yeah, yeah, uh, definitely. It, so it's not really uh, it also should uh, put them I mean it, it's pressurizing for students because they want to get the best accreditation as you mentioned but at mm -hmm. the same time if the uh, if the online courses give better quality and maybe in the future if their accreditation also increases which I assume it, it would certainly I mean it's already uh, it's already happening I think so yeah, it's already happening with Udacity and you know, yeah micro masters and all these things so uh, then it would be really hard for traditional universities to you know uh, keep up with the competition yeah yeah i think the the major <laughs> maybe unique selling proposition of a of a traditional university would be like the face to face contact where you can um, interact with with the people yeah. at university and you have hands on research projects where you can where you can participate in, in the process, which for me was a great way of learning. Like I think the most I've learned was from, from practice really in, in the research work that we do. But um, <laughs> especially now when, when all the courses move online, yeah, the, the comparison is quite, quite like the, the <laughs> courses that were inherently online or that, that were online from the get go are much better than what, what many courses do now in, in uh, university yeah certainly I mean the the whole format is different of course the uh, aspect of you know human to human interaction is missing in the online courses yeah. but then for something like programming you probably don't even need it that much right and so, you usually have a sort of a community tab where you can discuss ideas yeah. maybe a slack space where you have uh, where you can meet other people yeah, yeah, probably. I think uh, if instead, because that community is is definitely helpful, but it's still not close to reality. Probably if yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. an aspect like you know video discussion of you know a live uh, session as well, in apart from the video recordings uh, and the exercise, uh, a live session would also be involved. Then the traditional universities might have really hard time because. I mean, the product is definitely way better than uh, the popular universities are mm. offering. Yeah, yeah, and I, I also I don't want to I don't want to diminish what universities are doing as well because I think yeah I I would love if if everything was better and and I'm I'm also there are large differences between different courses so I have had fantastic courses at university as well. And also yeah, some yeah, yeah. good ones. Yeah, certainly. I mean, uh, by this uh, discussion that we are having, we are in no way trying to, you know, uh, demean the importance of uh, traditional education. I mean, I, I definitely have learned uh, a lot of things, and you, you know, you are in direct uh, contact with, you know, great professors who have had years of experience. So definitely, that does make a difference. But uh, the point of our discussion is to, you know. 
kind of uh, think of an ideal system that might uh, you know exist in the future if if there are improvements and yeah yeah what are the other possibilities that can be considered yeah yeah so now moving on from uh, you know these discussions about education and moving again to the you know deep philosophical part that we were in uh, what are the books that have had the most impact on your life so <laughs> here so so the first one wow. is a, is a book by um, Mason Curry it's in german but i think the the ah no i forgot the the english t- title now i think it's something about daily rituals yeah maybe daily rituals is the the t- title it's a great little book it's um it started i think it started out as a blog and he acquired or he collected information about uh popular and and famous people and how they um structure their days and what their habits were so not not only um not only contemporary persons but but for example uh Ernest Hemingway uh Vincent van Gogh Pablo Picasso so so artists scientists uh and significant people from the from the past and he collected sort of everything that he could find about their daily lives which is really interesting i think uh, that that gave me a lot of stuff uh, or food for thought <laughs> another another book that i think had a had a great impact on me was uh, this one here um by george lennard i think in english it's called it's just called mastery uh, and it's a book about how you i think he's a what was it i think aikido teacher like a this combat sport uh, or martial arts sport and he outlines the process of becoming a master of a discipline and what pitfalls there are and it's actually quite a deep book um so it's not it's not yeah i think it's a it's a great read uh, and i haven't re- read it in a while but it just uh, stuck out to me when i when i looked at it in my in my bookshelf and uh, i really liked reading it um yeah because you you learn sort of the principles behind uh progressing towards a goal for a long time and how how to not get stuck because sometimes i think um there are certain things where you where you just stay at one level for a time because you don't push forward anymore and uh, it's i think i'm not i'm not eloquent enough to 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 uh, summarize it right now but it's it's definitely a great read if you if you were okay. trying to stick with something for a longer time yeah these recommendations are like really interesting because i mean you selected the books from which you can derive something to implement in your life so the first book that you were talking about was you know about daily routines rituals and you know bringing a structure to your life and then the second one was again about you know uh when you're pursuing goals how to be persistent with them and and especially for the the first one i think i'll definitely read at least the first one because uh, the, i'm someone who always tries to structure his day so you know i now have uh, set reminders uh, for different kinds of activities and i try to keep the same structure for at least the first 5 days of the week i mean it's it's mm-hmm. super hard to stay consistent because then there's also 
randomness as you proceed throughout the day maybe you know you get a call from someone or you got yeah yeah uh, sure something uh, something <laughs> Some, uh, something comes up but then i still, I I still to, doing this uh, this, this morning thing where you uh, get up early and and uh, the the wim hof breathing thing yeah yeah right uh, yeah yeah it, it's part of my ritual now and i think it's it's the most amazing thing ever so because uh, uh, when you start your day then you know the, after meditation i practice this wim hof breathing technique and this is so it it kind of gives you a sense of high it energizes you because it uh, you're breathing deeply and then holding your breath for around 1 minute uh, and yeah so essentially this holding of the breath and uh, releasing it suddenly after that would create a sense of high i don't know how the science mm-hmm. behind how it works but you feel really amazing in the morning and i think it's really good way to start your day before uh, you have yeah. to try it i mean this is like something i cannot describe in words yeah yeah i, I recently watched a video where there was like tape of someone who experienced uh, that for the first time and he's like also yeah. a very skeptical person and he really had this effect of of yeah of yeah, like yeah, a, yeah a high and i found yeah, that it, interesting it's exactly a high and uh, I, the this uh, wim hof guy i think he's from Netherlands or, or yeah something. yeah I, I think, think so. Netherlands. Yeah, yeah. Iceman. Uh, and then, uh, sorry. Yeah, I think he's also called the Iceman, right? He's also known for yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. He's also the guy who you know recommends taking cold showers. And yeah, yeah, yeah. He he does really extreme stuff like going naked into the you know uh, icy region. So that's really extreme, but. what he recommends is taking the cold showers i think you must have also tried cold showers right yeah i did i did and for a time it was really easy for me like at first of obviously not i'm actually trying it at the moment i try to get back into it i'm yeah. so far i'm only legs and arms <laughs> but i think i can progress <laughs> yeah it it's quite hard actually but uh, in a way you you kind of train your mind to do hard things because when you do it every day uh then you're forcing yourself to go out there and do it yeah it's like when a challenge comes yeah and when a challenge comes during the day you already are you know you have you're developing those mental calluses as yeah with goggins would put yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah that I guy mean, is, is crazy <laughs> these these crazy guys but i think there's quite a few things that we can learn from these people mm. was the fact that the wim hof breathing actually mimics cold showers so essentially what you do when you're taking a cold shower is okay you are, you are inside the bathroom and then you you turn the nozzle on at, at you know full cold level and uh, once you know the cold you know touches your body and then uh what is the first thing that you do what is your first instinct the first instinct is that you breathe really deeply mm-hmm. if you if you notice it you have to breathe deeply i mean that's the natural response yeah but but for so, me the natural response is also to not breathe at all like it's yeah you, then then yeah, yeah get stuck and you have to force yourself to breathe regularly which makes it easier for you to to expose yourself to it but then that's the wrong way to go about it because we have mentioned it in this video that you have to allow yourself to breathe naturally you're kind of restricting yourself so mm. i think i mean 
based on what I have, the videos uh, I've seen. So yeah, you have to allow yourself to deep uh, to breathe deeply, and then what you do essentially is uh, in, during the Wim Hof breathing is you take away that scary factor of you know uh, standing you know uh, vulnerable under the shower, and then you yeah. just take the benefit and you can use it in your life. I think it, he kind of invented it. But also there are like similar methods mm. in in the Indian tradition like pranayama. I don't know if you know about it. But yeah. there are several breathing exercises that can also mimic the same effect essentially. So my last question would be, uh, what are your suggestions to someone who wants to develop a work ethic like you or who wants to you know have a sense of purpose in what he is doing and be working really hard because it's it's not easy working hard that's why it's called working hard right so mm -hmm. what what are your suggestions yeah that's that's actually a difficult question i think because i'm i'm not sure you know i'm i'm coming from a position where i feel like you know this imposter syndrome stuff because i i'm not always like straight as an arrow and, and going into one direction but i think you know one one thing that i think i'm, I'm really grateful for that i did in the past uh, is that i stuck with one thing for such a long time so had i not started to i mean it, it would have been entirely possible to not pursue those data science stuff uh, back then i could have just uh, left left it behind and and just go about my university courses and i think having stuck with it for such a long time is just uh, like it's unfathomable for me what it, what would have happened if i hadn't because if i had only what i've learned in university and sort of passively only taken in what what was taught in university i would probably yeah i wouldn't be i wouldn't be competent enough for a, a position that i really that i really would enjoy so yeah i think a good way of motivating yourself is first of all having a having a vision for what you want to do like actually defining the parameters of what you want to, your life to look like one day but also realizing what would happen if you don't do do what you like the the worst case scenario i think that's a stoic stoic idea to i'm uh, not not really but what would happen if you only made bad decisions from from now on <laughs> and then sort of think this through and and see where you land make it really miserable miserable that could that can be a great motivator as well and yeah like um having having these motivations and then sticking with one thing for for an extended period of time which will which is very hard for me because i get i get easily interested in many things so i always we talked about that on the phone uh, several days ago i always spread myself a little bit too thin because i'm interested in so many things so yeah i would say sticking sticking with one thing that you can really see why it could be useful that you like to do um, and then just incrementally working on it over over an extended period of time and at, at some point i think it's not you don't really have to motivate yourself it feels like if you if you're not motivated then it's more like you you have to think about what you're doing like why it's why is it not motivating 
and oh yeah but yeah there are there are some frustrating things from from every now and then so it, it's not you, you don't i think not not every frustrating work experience warrants an existential crisis <laughs> let's put it this way <laughs> yeah. that's a fun way to put it yeah i, I was going to stop uh, this was the last question but i'll just follow up quickly with a with yeah go ahead more questions so uh, yeah so the, could you talk about this uh, worst case scenario thing and uh, always giving uh, reminding yourself uh, why you are doing it if if that's what you were trying to say so uh, i think it points to a sense of urgency uh, uh, while you know a sense of urgency with uh, doing your work and and doing it in a good way uh, like a really good way and so what how do you derive that sense of urgency where do you derive that sense of urgency from so for example so i i try to make it as uh, visceral as possible for me so i try to really really think myself into that position so i picture myself for example in a in a job that i hate um maybe without a family in a city where i don't know anyone um i don't know i make it i make it like a, a realistic scenario that could happen if i don't if i don't do something like if i if i only passively lived my life in in one direction and and didn't progress in any way and that that is something that is totally realistic i think like it's not that it's impossible like i don't picture myself like in a in a war zone in a zombie apocalypse um which would suck obviously but uh, it's not very likely to happen but things yeah. that are likely to happen that are not good and and if you yeah if you if you make that really concrete and yeah let your creativity like spin around make <laughs> like a little sad story for yourself in the future that can be motivating as hell when you think about uh. or when you when you feel like when you feel like you want to rather procrastinate or watch a netflix show or something then it's really good to have this movie play in the back of your mind <laughs> and and uh, motivate you to to do something to progress in life but uh, but doesn't that make you uh, take life too seriously in a way if if you're visualizing the worst case scenario all the time and then yeah yeah so i mean I, it I has its it. advantages but disadvantages as well right i mean i mean obviously when you when you when you slack off once it's it's not a not a very bad thing i think yeah only if you after maybe 2 3 4 weeks and you were really unproductive and you feel like you're only you're only yeah procrastinating or doing unproductive things then it's maybe time to to activate that uh, that vision <laughs> But, uh, Yeah. Essentially, I mean, what what else is it? Like I I don't want to spend my life like passively sitting at home watching Netflix. Yeah, like, I, that's not the person that I want to perceive myself as and and that's not the person that I want to become and if that's what I'm doing for a, for an extended period of time, then I have to question um are, am I still going into the right direction? What can I do to motivate myself again? Yeah. So I, I just ask you one more question. So, what is yeah, your vision? Ahead. Vision for yourself, like 
you you talk about defining your vision I, i'm just adding these questions because I, i'm like too i feel too inspired talking to you because i mean uh, yeah it, it, it's really interesting stuff that you're sharing so what Thanks. is your vision for yourself ha huh. so i can really see myself pursuing a career in science because um yeah i I love this pro- process of um, discovering problems, sort of, and then trying to solve them in, in any way. And I'm not saying that I'm 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 still not I'm I'm really really a beginner so far. Like I mean I'm not even uh, uh, finished with my studies, and I'm I'm only just building up my toolbox for for tackling prog- uh, problems, but. The further I get, the more interesting it gets. So I, I read problems, I, I understand, or I, I read papers and I understand better what what the current problems or the current um, challenges are. And yeah, for me, it's really fun to to yeah use everything that is in my arsenal to solve these problems, these problems. And yeah, that that would be that would be one way maybe. But I can also see myself. Uh, Working, working, um, yeah, in a, in a uh, somewhere in the industry. So, if it's something where where I can do something really, uh, really cool, I, I, I for a long time I wanted to become a data scientist, and I I still think that could be something that I can see myself do in the future. Um, so that's something that I would like to do. I have some crazy ideas, but I'm I'm going to tell you about them. Like I have some crazy ideas about uh, entrepreneurial stuff that I might pursue in in some point. It's more like crazy stuff that's in my in my mind, and I, I always keep like a notebook open when I when I when I think of something and and want to note it down. Yeah, but but those are not not uh, ready enough or not not mature enough to to. To be stated on record, I think. <laughs> okay, okay. So, thank you very much, Johannes. It was uh, a really a pleasure to have this enriching and really deep conversation uh, with you. Like we talked deeply about your, you know, research work, your uh, data analysis projects, and uh, the works that you did uh, in communication aspects and all. All these things, and then we went really deep into the philosophical aspects about work and all these things. So it was like really a pleasure to you know uh, get to hear these ideas, and I'm, I'm sure the people who would be listening to this would also definitely enjoy it, and not just enjoy it, but learn something, learn quite a few things from this. So thanks, thank man. you very much. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity, like uh, to be to be on your podcast. It was really really fun. And I think it's also a testament to your interviewer skills that we could talk for such a long time. <laughs> I hope I, I hope I didn't bore I you mean, to death uh, for this for this extended amount of time. But yeah. Oh, it was incredibly interesting. I mean, it was really nice and an enriching experience for me. So thanks. Thank thanks. Appreciate okay. it. You're still there? Chandandeep, are you uh, still there? <laughs>